Hello and welcome to the Henna Hundle Show. Here on the Henna Hundle Show, we feature the world's foremost experts for groundbreaking discussion within their respective fields, spanning medicine, science, technology, business, politics, policy, law, and more. Join me, your host, Henna Hundle, on a mission to unpack and understand how contemporary high-impact issues are being tackled by the world's most influential leaders. For today's episode, I'm honored to share the air with our esteemed guest, Dr. Norman Sharpless, the 15th and current director of the National Cancer Institute. The National Cancer Institute, which is part of the National Institutes of Health, or the NIH, is the United States government's primary cancer research agency. One of the critical roles of the National Cancer Institute is making grants available for cancer research. The origins of the National Cancer Institute actually date back to 1937, when then-President Theodore Roosevelt signed the National Cancer Institute Act. And in 1944, the National Cancer Institute became a division of the National Institutes of Health. The National Cancer Institute has both an intramural and extramural component that are responsible for an array of centers that support cancer research. I'm incredibly honored to share a conversation with Dr. Sharpless because he has a long and illustrious career in both research and healthcare leadership. Dr. Sharpless earned both his bachelor's and medical degree at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, and did his residency at Massachusetts General Hospital. Dr. Sharpless's research interests lie at the intersection of cancer and aging, and he is a founder of a clinical stage biopharmaceutical company focused on cancer treatment called G1 Therapeutics. In 2013, Dr. Sharpless became the director of the UNC Lineberger Comprehensive Cancer Center, and he became director of the National Cancer Institute in 2017. I'm very pleased to welcome Dr. Sharpless to the program to discuss the initiatives that have been important to him while being at the helm of the National Cancer Institute. In addition, our interview will touch on the research developments in cancer therapeutics that most excite Dr. Sharpless and how we can improve clinical trial designs for more targeted drug development. Please join me now in welcoming Dr. Sharpless to the program. So to begin, Dr. Sharpless, having been in your role as director of the National Cancer Institute for over a year now, you've presided over many developments for the agency, one of which has been putting an enhanced focus on workforce development. In addition to ensuring that researchers have the tools and the skills that they need to do their jobs effectively, how have you been thinking about or pursuing change in terms of the pipelines that create researchers? You know, how do we reach out to more talented young people, more young graduates, and bring them into the fold of cancer research? Yeah, thank you. I think the, um, it's probably fair to say that maybe the most important thing the National Cancer Institute does is uh, train the next generation of cancer doctors and cancer scientists. I mean, that that is... Mm-hmm. Really, what we're about is uh, is not only doing great research today, but making sure the pipeline to provide great researchers uh, ten and twenty years from now is 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 full and robust. And uh, and and, and the, you know the good news is cancer is a really interesting problem. There are lots of people who want to work in this topic, and there are lots of people coming to our field. And uh, so we don't really have to do a lot of uh, you know trying to convince people that cancer is a good thing to work on. But what I think we do have to do is make sure that we uh, identify 
people and get them working on the right areas and in the right topics and receiving the right kind of training. And then I think we also have to assure that the people that are working on cancer, that there's a real diversity in terms of research interests, but also in terms of, you know, ethnicity and gender and, uh, you know, area of expertise. And mm-hmm. we, we want a, a robust uh, representative workforce that will um, be able to make progress in sort of all areas where cancer is a problem. So, so we think a lot about how to do that. We, we provide funding mechanisms to incentivize people to come to, uh, to, to work on uh, cancer research for training. Mm-hmm. It really starts at middle school and goes all the way through full professor uh, level. And then we also um, spend a lot of time trying to create these research experiences that will provide, you know, the right knowledge that will train people in big data science or in, you know, molecular biology or, or genetics or immuno-oncology uh, so that people have the right skill set to be cancer researchers. Yeah. And in addition to workforce development, I understand that one of the goals you put forth within your first year as director has been to reimagine and rethink the ways that we design clinical trials. You know, up until now, what do you think we've been missing the mark on in how we think about clinical trial design? Right, well, the thing that's happened with clinical trials is, is, is they used to be sort of easy to do in cancer. That, you know, we mm-hmm. treated every cancer patient like they were kind of the same. Every patient with breast cancer was like every other patient with breast cancer. And so the clinical trial was to compare, you know, drug A versus drug B in 4,000 patients where 50% get one and 50% get the other. And that, that was an easy thing to do administratively. That's an easy trial. It's relatively mm-hmm. straightforward. The problem is that those trials never worked very well because what we've since learned is that no two patients with cancer are really alike. Everybody's got a unique disease, and, uh, you know, everybody's cancers, are, uh, they are different. And, therefore, they all need uh, therapies that, if not personalized, that are at least a bit more precise, so this movement to precision oncology. So the good news is we're providing patients with therapies that are more effective and less toxic, but this has tremendous implications for how one does a clinical trial. They become much more complex endeavors that require smaller trials. Sometimes they may not have a control arm. Sometimes they may have interesting design formats. So, so trials mm-hmm. have to be smaller and nimbler and, and, you know, using modern statistical methods to identify uh, react, you know, active drugs as quickly as possible and get people into the right trials. Right, right. So the way we think about trials for cancer therapeutics has changed and Another area of change, I think, is the increasing focus on precision medicine. And I'm particularly curious to hear your take on precision oncology. What do you view as the primary challenges of integrating precision oncology more seamlessly into the prevailing healthcare system and clinical practices? Yeah, so so I I think um, some of the controversy around this topic relates to what people mean by precision oncology. I I think the notion that... uh, we should use molecular techniques to characterize each person's individual cancer with mm-hmm. better and better resolution is not controversial. I mean, you know, we've been doing that in medicine for 40 years of trying, the pathologists are trying to figure out more and more detailed information about individual cancers and divide them into subsets. And right. then treating patients with different subsets of cancer differently makes perfect sense. So that that's relatively non-controversial. The, the part that, that, that has become a challenge of recent uh, in the last few years is, mm-hmm. you know, the, the widespread explosion of, of uh, DNA sequencing to uh, ascertain uh, which treatment arm a patient should go on. 
And that works. You know, it doesn't uh, – many patients are not benefited by that technology, but a, a minority are, and those benefits can be very significant. And so now mm-hmm. the challenge is disseminating this new cutting-edge technology, you know, next-generation tumor sequencing. Uh, it's a greater scale through the community. And, of course, it creates a bunch of problems because how are we going to pay for it? And when it says a patient should go on an expensive medicine, how are we going to support that? So it's led to a bunch of uh, implementation and access challenges. But these are areas where we started to make some progress. So there's been, for example, a recent development where uh, mm-hmm. the Center for Medicare Services has decided to pay for some of this testing, making it much more available for patients in the community. And so I, I think there's been some really good progress in this area. Right. And in terms of progress, the 2018 annual report to the nation on the status of cancer amazingly declared that, quote, overall cancer death rates continue to decrease in men, women and children for all major racial and ethnic groups. What are you most hopeful about, Dr. Sharpless, in this historical moment about where we are in the fight against cancer? I know that's a really broad topic, but are there any recent research developments or success stories that excite you the most? Right. I, I think, uh, you know, the, the, the progress against cancer has been steady and very good for the last two decades. And I, I have every expectation that that progress in terms of decreasing mortality will continue and maybe even increase because of all the new therapies that we have. And, uh, you know, a, a, a real Exciting development is, is adding immuno-oncology approaches to these other modalities of surgery, mm-hmm. radiation, and chemotherapy we've had. And, and just now, now we're sort of at the infancy or the beginning period of how to combine all these different therapies and how to mix them together and make them maximally effective. So, you know, this, this paradigm of treating each patient's cancer as an individual entity, you know, mm-hmm. combined with those cutting-edge new approaches, you know, I feel like we're able to offer patients hope that we used to consider hopeless. So, you know, that, that is very uh, rewarding as an oncologist to see patients with cancers that we used to consider untreatable now mm-hmm. having these great responses and in some cases even being cured. So what I'm really excited about is building on that, that steady, strong progress and, you know, really pushing the accelerator down and making it happen even faster. Right, right. And finally, I understand that even while serving as director, you have continued to pursue research at the intersection of aging and cancer, which has been your interest for quite some time. Uh, what is it about that intersection of aging and cancer that you're interested in probing in particular? It's a really interesting problem. You know, we, we, I started out as a, as, a, as a cancer doctor trying to understand mm-hmm. how cells went from being normal to becoming cancer cells, and we realized that there were a bunch of mechanisms that cells had to prevent them from turning into cancer, and those so-called tumor suppressor mechanisms mm-hmm. were beneficial. You didn't get cancer. That's good. But an untoward effect of some of those mechanisms was that they promoted aging. So we, we discovered sort of this fundamental relationship between cancer and aging that I don't think was obvious at first. And uh, that has a lot of implications for both how we treat cancer patients, but also, you know, the impact of our cancer therapies on patients' sort of physiological age, if you will. Mm-hmm. And that continues to be a really uh, fun area to work on. I, I think there's been a, a number of recent scientific developments in this area that have been very exciting. And so uh, I'm glad my lab is able to stay abreast of this topic. And that was an interview with Dr. Norman Sharpless, shedding light on his work as the director of the National Cancer Institute and offering his reflections as expressed in the 2018 Annual Report to the Nation on the Status of Cancer. 
I'm incredibly grateful again to Dr. Sharpless for joining me for the conversation. I found it fascinating to learn about his continuing interest in research at the intersection of cancer and aging and his forward-thinking outlook on working to ensure that progress made in research can be effectively translated into usable and distributable therapeutics for patients. So in light of that, I really value today's conversation, and I hope you enjoyed it too. You have been listening to The Henna Hundle Show. I'm your host, Henna Hundle, and I thank you for tuning in. We'll catch you next week.